Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences around the world. Each week we endeavor to bring you an interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen, or perhaps even a recording of Henry himself. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we continue to introduce audiences to Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that each of us is a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. I am delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Father Ron Rollheiser. Ron is the author of 14 books and a person I consider to be the leading scholar and interpreter of Henry Nouwen. At a recent celebration honoring Ron's retirement as president of the Oblate School of Theology in San Antonio, his editor Robert Ellsberg summed up Ron's ministry in this way. The impact of his writing, his retreats, and his ministry comes from his deep knowledge and identification with the human condition. That fact that he has been where we are, whether in a hole or on a mountaintop, in love or in pain, in suffering or in joy. Whatever the situation, wherever we may find ourselves, we sense that Ron Rommelheiser has been there himself and that he knows the way that leads to God. Today's talk with Ron is so worth listening to, but up front I need to give you an apology. My audio wasn't properly recorded, so some of the questions will be a bit garbled. Please put up with it, stick with it, because what Ron has to offer is really worthwhile. Ron, I love your books, and they are full of wisdom that leads us into the presence of a loving and compassionate God. With retirement, you're kind of at a new beginning yourself. Can you tell us what has captured your heart and mind at this point? Um, you know, in our business, and you're in the same business of spirituality, we never really retire. You know, we just move to different phases. And in fact, the interesting thing is, you know, in the work we're doing, like you're doing in spirituality, you're much more effective at 70 than you were at 50 or 30, you know? So basically it's a shift in work. So I'm, I'm leaving administration, which I've done now for almost 30 years, or basically 30 years and so on, where I've tried to keep writing and doing some academics. So now I can go back full time to writing, to reading, to researching, to helping students. Um, so I'm much looking forward to it. So it, it's, it's kind of, the, the, you know, at the end of all the hours I have to put into administration. And so um, it, it's a shift in work, not a retirement. I found it fascinating what you're choosing to do. Like you're gonna finish a trilogy. There's this wonderful book that uh, Holy Longing and then Sacred Fire. But what is the, there's a book that you're picking up now that you feel kind of completes that. Tell us a bit about that, because in a sense, that really struck a note with me. Well, you know, Karen, as you know, I, I wrote the book, The Holy Longing and Sacred Fire, but clearly as the first two books in the trilogy. See, so The Holy Longing is a book about basically how do you set your life together? Like fundamentally, what's fundamental discipleship? And then the, the sacred fires, how do you give your life away? How do you spend your generative years and so on? Um, now, the book I want to write now called, you know, Insane for the Light is a book about how do you give your death away? How do you live your last years, you know, that, that your goodbye to this planet and your family is really a, a 
something that leaves everybody in deep peace. You know, so it's uh, I actually got the idea from Henry Nowen. Nowen wrote this book, Our Last Greatest Gift, in terms of, and he coined an expression, how do you give your death away? Yeah. During during our generative years, you struggle to give your life away, but then how do you give your death away? So it's a concept I got from Nowen, but it's very deep in scripture, you know, like Jesus who gives his death to us and his passion. And uh, it's also very clear in the mystics, John of the Cross. That's what John of the Cross would call the dark night of the spirit. The last phase of your life, it's 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 no longer, in fact, I can quote Henry in this. Henry says, there comes a time in your life when the question is no longer, the big question is no longer, you know, what can I do to still make a contribution? But the, the question is, what can I do now that when I die, when I go away, my death will be the optimal blessing for my family, the community, and the church? You know, so you don't stop living but you start living in such a way that um, um, you're giving something else to your family and people now. It, it was interesting to me that uh, obviously, as soon as I saw that, it leaped off the page that this was something that Henry had spoken of. Do you think with Henry, that he had to have that near death experience and begin to think in terms of how, what the end of his life was going to be? I'm sure he wasn't anticipating it being as short as it was, but in those last years, it was very much an understanding he brought to the situation, which in a way really prepared him for when on his deathbed, what he wanted to give out to everybody was to say how grateful he was, how thankful he was for him, which is an amazingly freeing, liberating thing to say, you owe me nothing and I grace you with my love and with my thanks. Well, you know, it's interesting that Henry's near-death experience did two things in his life massive, I think, transformative things. The one which is, you know, and probably they're linked together, but you know, you know how Henry in his life always struggled to actually receive love, you know? Um, and then whatever this, this death experience did to him, it, it um, afterwards he was able to receive love. And, he was, and that's when he wrote those wonderful books about, you know, being God's beloved and so on. But in its own way, it also prepared him for death because he had, Kind of literally died at one point, you know, and uh, but see, so it, it it prepared him so that even though he died young, um, he he did the things he needed to in his last years. That when he died, okay, you're 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 working on his legacy, but he really didn't leave any unfinished business. You know, when you die, oftentimes there's what I should have said or whom I should have still visited. You know? So Henry, in a certain sense, didn't leave any incompleteness even though he died at this young age. That is really something. I mean, your book really challenged me because I look, I look at where I'm at in life and obviously this is something I consider. This issue of being past the generative time of your life or entering into a time in which um, the passion, the passivity of Christ becomes something. The whole message of unless a seed fall into the ground and die. This is pretty profound. You're gonna take us down that path, aren't you? Yes, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a distinction. Let me just talk about it with Jesus. Um, it's a distinction we don't easily pick up, but once it's pointed out to you in Scripture, you'll see it, that, you know, we say Jesus gave his life for us and Jesus gave his death for us as if that's one movement. No, that's two movements. Jesus gave his life for us through his activity. He gave his death for us through his passivity, you know, and it's interesting um, in Mark's gospel, 
scholars point out that all the verbs about Jesus before he was arrested and led away, all the verbs are active. He taught, he walked, he healed, he preached, and so on. He was the doer. And after he's arrested, all the verbs are passive. They led him away, Pilate questioned him, so on. See, so he gave his life for us through his activity. He gave his death for us through his passivity, through what, you know, um, for what he endured. And uh, that's a great mystery, you know, and Henry was one of the first contemporary writers to really pick up on that, you know. Um, remember way back, I think it was about 1975, so that's almost 50 years ago, when he did that series of tapes for Ave Maria Press on waiting. And when he talks about visiting his man who was dying of cancer, and uh, so he, see, he takes Henry's hand and he says, Henry, Father, you got to help me. He says, I, I know I'm dying, but this passivity, what can I do with it? They're, you know, nurses and bedpans and so on. And Henry said, I sat by his bedside and I kept reading the passion over and over to him, the passion of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and saying, this is your passivity. You know, you've given your life through your activity. You know, now you've got to give something through your passivity, you know, in absorbing this. Now, granted, that isn't always a great consolation when you're lying in bed dying or sick, you know, but it, it's but it's the only thing there is, you know. Um, so the, the way back, it, that was a, before Henry articulated more into a, a complete spirituality, but he, he did a wonderful series of talks. You know, I got him, you know, when we still had set recorders. <laughs> And on Ave Maria Press, but there were two two uh, talks he gave on waiting, you know, what it means to wait. That was the first time I, I, I got this notion of passivity. Um, so so the book I'm writing, is, is it, it works a lot on that, but it's going to work on some other things too, is how do you, um, um, how do you experience faith during those years? Like what are dark nights and so on? We all hope we won't have them, but we yeah. will. In some ways, for some people right now, they're in the midst of a dark night just because the pandemic has swept yeah. away the world they could control. Yeah. What are you finding that you can offer out at this point, Ron, into that kind of reality? You know, that's probably the hardest thing you could ask me, you know, in terms of, um, you know, that there's a certain helplessness. And, um, you know, I, I um, like, for instance, the pandemic hasn't affected me a lot like other people. So, for instance, the same thing. Our work goes on. We're, we're not worried about paying our bills and so on. Um, nobody close to me has, has gotten ill and died, you know. And so it, it you know, it's it's almost like um, I feel guilty speaking as an outsider to people, you know, where this is really it's taken away their livelihood or it's taken away their mother or their father or their daughter and so on. Um, uh, it's it's really a transformative. It's it's a passion moment for our culture, you know. Um, and, and, and it's really tough because, you know, our generation, we have many other good points, but unlike our grandparents and so on, we're not used to this. You know, we're not used to hardship. <clears throat> you know, our grandparents and stuff, they were, and they lived more vulnerable lives, and they were closer to the earth, you know, but um, dare I say it, we've become pretty spoiled and pretty soft in our lives. And so when something like this comes along that, um, or I'd say something else there too, you know, we, I, we were under the illusion that we could control life, you know, that nothing like this could happen to us. And along comes this little virus, which we can't do a thing about, you know. And, and so even that the admitting of our helplessness, um, um, 
it, it's it's really scarred our psyche. I think that's you know, um, and, um, and and it's been hard. I, I feel for people who um, who have suffered this in a much deeper ways than I have. I mean, I've been inconvenienced. I can't fly or give talks or something. That's minor. You know, that's uh, uh, it's not like losing you know your husband or your wife or a child or your father or or like losing your livelihood and not knowing how you're going to pay your bills. You know. Um, but but it, it's it's um, I think you know there's there's a thing in spirituality, Karen, where we we uh, we understand things by looking back at them. We're going to understand this much more when, when we reflect on it. You know, um, you know when we we understand divine providence, looking backwards, we're going to see what we learned from this. I've always loved those moments when we as a world are joined together. You know, I think about the happy moments. It's New Year's Eve or it's, it's something like uh, the Olympics or something like that. And I feel like we're watching with each other worldwide. We've never been through a tragedy that we're so with somebody who's in India, somebody who's in Korea, someone who's in England. There's a universality of this moment that it really does stop us short. We thought we had it all in control and suddenly you realize it can go like that. Profound. The, the other tragic thing that's happened, I'm living in the United States right now, is that much, I, I suspect some other countries are better, but it, it also politically divided us for whatever reason. You know, like you think tragedy should unite a nation. It's deeply, deeply divided the United States between, you know, who's wearing a mask and who isn't and what's the political statement and so on. Um, and that's, that's, that's a second tragedy to this, that, you know, tragedy normally brings a family together. This tragedy has torn this family even further apart as a nation, you know, so that, you know, to walk on the street with a mask or a no mask is a political statement that upsets people either way. Um, that, that's, a, that's a compound to the tragedy. I was curious about one thing, what I was wondering about was, what does come out of that time? You mentioned the word character. Can you say a little bit more about that? Let me give you a metaphor, which I, I very much love. And that's that's Abraham and Sarah. You know, like, okay, obviously this is part of metaphorical. So that when she's 70 and he's 80, God says, set out for a country where you don't know where you're going. And when you get there, you're going to have a baby. Then it takes another 20 years. Then when she's 90, he's 100, they have their real child, you know kind of gray-haired, postmenopausal pregnancy, you know, well, that's a great image for, you know, what, what are we called to see during the generative, the, the early generative parts of our life? For instance, you were married, you were a mother, you're raising kids, you're in a job, and so on, you're paying mortgages, it's pretty clear what you're doing, you know? Then at a certain point, you become a grandparent, and, you know, uh, a lot of people move into retirement and so on, um, and, and they're still young in a way, you know, you today, you know, um, 70 is the new 50. So you might going to live maybe 20 more years of healthy life. What are those years for? Well, that's for you to have your Isaac. <laughs> what, what's your gray haired pregnancy and so on. So it's, it's what I call late generativity. In fact, we have a program here now at the school called forest dwelling, um, which is a program like a living school where we bring in people for over a two year period off and on um, to precisely look at that. What are those years for? Um, you know, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're meant to be enjoyed, you know, that, that people enjoy their grandkids and people enjoy leisure and travel and golfing, but that's none of them are a full-time, um, vocation, you know, um, 
Now, a person like yourself or myself, we keep working, but but for most people, their work stops, you know. And so, so what what's what's the new baby they're supposed to have, you know? I call it like you know, second generativity. You know, we all understand first generativity: raising kids, paying a mortgage, being involved in the community, and doing all this. Um, and that ends at a certain point, you know. And um, you know, there, there was a, a, a very good book written way back in the mid '90s by Jermaine Greer, the British feminist, called *The Change*. And it's a book on women's menopause, but it, it's a powerful book, which he talks about even like 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 for instance menopause as a kind of a second puberty. See, puberty as biological and, and, and emotional changes that launches you into adult life. Then menopause ends a certain phase, and there's biological changes and psychological, which you know, it's like a new puberty to launch you into the next phase of your life, and so on. Um, now she captures that for women, um, you know, men who don't have menopause, or at least they don't admit it, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they can pretend longer and so on. Um, but but really, and again, getting back to Henry. Henry was the first person who started naming this in a po in popular writing. Then, of course, people like Richard Rohr and myself and so on um, uh, start, started working on this as a spirituality, you know. But but Henry was the first person to, um, first of all, nibble at its edges, then at a certain point with his book, you know, Our Last Greatest Gift, to name it explicitly and just say, how do you give your death away? And what does that mean? Like Henry, you are the person who, as I read your writing, I go, you are like a Henry. You write like a Henry. You write with wonderful passion and soul and good spirit. And I, I love that. How was it you found Henry? How did he shape you? Well, Henry, <laughs> Henry kind of found everybody, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll tell you how I found Henry. Um, I was in graduate school in the early 70s, you know. And young priest, and trying to trying to write, and, and 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 trying to write. I was, I was doing my master's thesis on the theme of loneliness, and uh, um, you know, you just kind of restlessness in people's lives and so on. And I, earlier than that, I had read one book by Henry, which was that book he did on 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 with open hands, you know, which someone had given to me as the ordination present. It was it's a beautiful book. It's simple and short and so on, but deep and so on. Um, but then, it, when I was in grad school, that year, Henry wrote a series of articles in the National Catholic Reporter, you know, uh, which later became his book, Reaching Out. And, you know, I often say this to people, you know, they have all this experience. It was like being introduced to myself. Like that series of articles, which later became, I think, still one of Henry's great books, Reaching Out, which I think he did in 75, you know. Um, with the three movements of the spiritual life, from from loneliness to, to solitude, from hostility to hospitality, from fantasy to prayer, you know, um, it, it was like it was explaining me to me. And then I, after that, I became a fan. I started looking up everything he wrote, and I, you know, and um, uh, it wasn't easy to write read everything he wrote because Henry wrote a lot, <laughs> but uh, I think I basically read most everything. And, uh, but, but that, Karen, that was my initial hook. And I read this, uh, I want to read this guy. Um, like he's speaking about 
what's moving inside of the human person, you know, and 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 and, he, and also like Henry, and I think we 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 recognize that now. Henry invented a new language for writing spirituality, you know. See, prior to that, spirituality was written in in the you know like uh, you had two kinds. You had like the classical imitation of Christ and you know Francis de Sales. Uh, and then you had like Fulton Sheen and our Sunday visitor, you know, not that that was bad, but see Henry Reedy invented a language, you know, which is kind of direct and which, which he purified during his time. You know, like it's interesting when you read Henry's earlier books, he still uses a fair amount of psychological terms and so on. Later on, he purges that completely. It's just straight language of the heart. Doesn't use the word narcissism anymore or, or, or depression no clinical terms just bang you know um which which is is a language many of us can imitate um and use i i love um funny it's where where i find a, a meeting of you and your writing and henry and it is this language of the heart and i think you share that gift and it, it's interesting because you have that academic look at it that has the overview and says that you can see this movement in henry's writing and and um and I think that's that's quite wonderful. I, I jumped out of asking you, what do you have right now that you are birthing in this that you feel God is calling you to? And there must be some impossibility to that. You know, some sense, in some ways, everything that surrounds your life makes it very possible for you to keep writing and teaching, etc. But there's also the reality of uh, challenges I'm sure that you face. Tell me, what what is the Isaac that you are called to birth right now? I'll get very personal here. You know, my my dream had been, or fantasy, part of which was fired by Henry, you know. See, Henry always had this thing about, you know, he understood the dark night of the spirit. And see, the dark night of the spirit is that at a certain point, you you disappear, you know, like you, um, you, you become a nobody, except Henry could never quite pull that off, you know, like... No, remember, he, he went to the Trappist and that didn't work with the South America, that didn't work. And he went to Larsh and it kind of worked, but he was still flying all over the world and so on. But he was, I got to disappear, I got to disappear, you know. And so my, my dream had been to, um, once I retire, quotation marks, that I would go to a Trappist monastery, you know, and kind of still write but disappear. Um, and actually cancer did that in, you know, like... Um, um, so now I'm 73, I have cancer, no trap is going to take me. You know, for first, it wouldn't be fair to go there, you know. Um, so now I have to, um, I'm looking to, 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 to teach and, and, um, and write and so on. But then also, um, not that I'm looking forward to this, but when my time comes to, to die, and who knows when it's going to be, you know, I'm on cancer treatments right now, my Isaac would be to do that in such a way with, with grace, with humor, with you know to, um, um, you know to, as, as a you know to give your death away in a in a real sense. So you're you're obviously very honest with yourself about where you're. Yeah. Well, you know, again, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I keep coming back to Henry, but remember, Henry made a distinction between your achievements and your fruitfulness. At a certain point in life, your achievements stop, or at least they diminish and so on. But the whole idea is that your fruitfulness can increase. That means, you know, the effect of what you've done and so on. But the thing I want to inject here is to also, you know, I want to answer your present question a little bit with your other question. You know, what's to be my Isaac, you know? Um, 
know, John of the Cross, who's been one of my great mentors, and John of the Cross says, see, there's, there's two ways you can enter the dark night of the spirit. So if you can enter it voluntarily, where you do something, you know, like, you know, like, Henry, I'm going to go and join Larsh or something. I'm going to stop my life at Harvard and Yale and so on. Or it can happen to you conscriptively, which means you go to a doctor's office and says you've got cancer and you're going to die and so on. See, then you enter the dark night of the spirit. You know, see, so that also circumstance, circumstance will often dictate what your Isaac's going to be, you know. See, there's, there's a certain luxury in picking. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to a monastery or something. But for most people, it's more humble. It just happens to them. Your mother gets sick and you got to take care of her. This happens. You know, that, that circumstance or an illness or something does it to you. It, it, John of the Cross said, it puts you in the night of the spirit. Um, you can go there on purpose <laughs> or, or, or often for most people, you know, their Isaac is going to be dictated by circumstance. Something's going to happen. You know, uh, and, and that is why I remember there was an, an older spirituality my mom and dad lived with that was what they called the duties of state. And they really believed that if you're faithful and you're honest, um, what happens in your life will be your vocation. It'll show you what God wants from you so that, you know, you, you don't have to go into the sermon. Where do I do that? What do I do with these years and so on? Um, uh, stuff will happen. And, um, um, you know, the you're driving, there's a car accident in front of you, you got to stop. What do you think Henry would have said if he was with us in this conversation today, uh, given the time we're living through, given the pandemic? Do you think you have anything to offer into this situation? Does something come to mind for you? Yes, except, <laughs> except on these things, Henry always came up with something novel that was wonderful. And, you know, and, and, uh, and that's why I can't guess what it would be because it would have been, a, Henry would have written some articles in this. I'm sure that would have been deeply, deeply insightful about, you know, uh, what this is calling us to, um, how it touches our wounds, um, you know, that, but, but precisely the reason, Karen, I can't answer that question because if I could, then I could write it myself, you know, like, no, no, but Henry always had a, that was his genius, you know, he, he could, in these situations, he would write something that would nail it. It would just nail it. And then after he said it, then you say, I should have thought of that. <laughs> but uh, you don't think of it, you know. But that, that um, the reason I can't answer that is because that was part of Henry's unique genius. Do you have a favorite book of Henry's or do you, you mentioned reaching out, are there others that you particularly love to go back to or? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with, the, you know, when they talk about writers, they talk about the early and the late. <laughs> there's the early Henry, you know, in his early life, you know, like uh, the, the books that I felt were genius, pure genius, was that first very simple book with open hands, but then his book Reaching Out. You know, a lot of his other stuff was filled off of that. I think he did one in 1971 or 70, the other one in 1975. So that's a lot, you know. And then in his late works, um, of course, the ultimate is, you know, Return of the Prodigal Son, but also the book he wrote when he was in the clinic in Winnipeg, uh, The Inner Voice of Love, and so on. Um, you know, I mean, all his books were good, but but those would be my my favorite. You know, um, uh, the Wounded Healer. It's still the concept that that, that was really 
Henry's probably this earliest book, which kind of got him at Notre Dame and Harvard and Yale and so on. It, it was, a, again, one of his genius insights and so on. Um, but it's one of his earlier books where he still has a lot of psychological stuff in it and so on. Um, it's still not, it's vintage Henry insight, but not vintage Henry writing, you know. But with, 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 with open hands, reaching out, and then, of course, Return of the Prodigal Son, which is this masterpiece, you know. Um, but a, 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 a hidden little book of his that's really good is that book, uh, The Inner Voice of Love. You know, when he's sorting himself, he's sorting through a clinical depression. And he just, you know, how he tries to show that your heart and soul are stronger than your wounds, you know. Um, you know, it's basically, that's the, the thesis of the book, you know. No matter how deeply wounded you are, um, your heart, you're, you're, you're stronger than your wounds. You know, I thought of a line which is very, very powerful. You know, in the in the in the music Les Misérables, when when the uh, Cosette's mother dies, remember she's the factory worker and everything works against her. And in her dying song, she says, "There, there are things you can't overcome. There are things, you know, like she says, you know." You know, there, there, there's, there's, there's darkness you can't overcome, and see, and 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 that seems to be so true. And 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 Henry struggled there with real darkness. No, but in the end, you are stronger than your wounds, and you know that that's the power of that book. That that's a that's a great book, and he has some some just some vintage passages you can copy out. You know, on that. We're coming up to an anniversary. It will be 25 years in 2021 as Henry died, and it was interesting when I started as the executive director, I thought people still need Henry. Is, is there still a, and what I'm finding is there is a thirst for what he has written. There continues to be this, and perhaps even more so during this pandemic. We found, in a sense, with the daily meditations going out, we hear from so many saying, this is just, just what I need. It speaks into my life right now. Um, I'm grateful for that. We have plans for the year, and I hope people will kind of follow along. We'll let you know what's going on. One of our special plans is we're inviting you to come and be our keynote speaker at the conference we have planned for the beginning of June. It's June 4th and 5th, and it's called uh, Henry Nowen and the Art of Living. And it's actually a launch of five little booklets that are going to be really about building spiritual formation in the now in our lives. It's for small group use in churches and and individually and that sort of thing. And we're quite excited about it, but I'm delighted you're coming for that event for us. I noticed on your schedule, you've got a lot of wonderful things coming up. Would you like to share with us some of those things? Because I'd love to promote ways in which people can get to hear you teaching and preaching. In, in um, early February, I think it's 7th to the 12th or something, I, I every year I give a national retreat. I'd normally be in person. This year it's going to be online, you know, and this, this, this year I'm doing the incarnation, like the whole body of Christ, what it means and so on. And they, they could get that off our website. I think the dates are the 7th of February to, you know, um, but it's a national retreat. And usually we get, you know, 150 people here from all over the United States and Canada. So this year, the whole thing will be online. I am looking very much forward to this, this now in conference, you know, um, you know, he may be dead for 25 years. He's not dead. Um, you know, like, um, he's still that just this huge huge influence in my life and the lives of many people so uh, any chance i get to go and speak about henry or to uh 
kind of promote what he's done, I take it, you know, it's it's a, um, uh, it's a favor to me, not to the other people and so on. So um, now I think people sense that, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a groupie, but I'm, I'm a, a person who really wants to promote his work, you know, um, because there is still, I always tell people, you want to be introduced to yourself, start reading Henry now. I think that's why you find in Henry um, a comrade, you know, somebody who has ta taught you. I think you have learned how to take that voice and bring it out. And I, I love that about you, Ron. I really enjoy it. I want to thank you for the work you're doing. That's important work. Henry needs to stay alive. Amen. Looking forward to seeing you with us in June. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Ron Rollheiser has given us a vision for how to live our lives fruitfully, even in the midst of a COVID pandemic. Father Ron Rollheiser is going to be the keynote speaker for our 25th anniversary online conference scheduled for June 4th and 5th. The conference is called Henry Nowen and the Art of Living. I hope you'll join us for this very special virtual gathering. Details of how to register for this and many other special webinars we have planned for 2021 can be found on our henrynowen.org website. For more resources related to today's podcast, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You can find additional content and book suggestions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you take time to give us a thumbs up or a good review? We also want to encourage you to pass on this podcast to your friends and family. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.